seated, I invite you to find a Bible, if you will, and turn in that Bible to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, the sixth book that you'll find in the Old Testament. Our text for the morning is found in chapter 3 of Joshua. We're continuing in a sermon series that we have entitled, We Are Wesley, and we're talking about what it means to be a consecrated people to God, a, a people set apart for God's purposes. In this series, We Are Wesley, we're looking at those core values that led us in the past, that make us who we are today, and that will lead us into the future. Here in Joshua chapter 3, we catch up with the children of Israel. They have been on a long journey, wandering through the wilderness after their exodus from slavery in Egypt, and now they are at the shore of the Jordan River, about to enter into their land of promise. And Joshua has some things to say to the people in order for them to be able to enter into the land of promise. And God has some things to say to Joshua. So we begin in chapter 3 at verse 5. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priest, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen. Listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and as soon as the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage, all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jordan. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. This is the Word of God. 
Would you pray with me? God, you have a word for each one of us this morning. May we be so focused on the presence of the living Christ. May we be so attentive to your spirit that we hear what you are saying to us. You are calling us to live as your unique people here on this earth. So we need your power. We need your presence. We need confidence in your word in order to do this. Help us to make a complete offering of our lives to you this day. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Friends, you know the story. It has been a long, long, long journey since the children of Israel made their exodus out of slavery in Egypt. It's been a long, long, long journey, almost 40 years of wandering into the wilderness and through the wilderness, and now they are within sight of the gift. They are within sight of what it is that God is trying to give them. They are within sight of the land of promise. And we find them here on the Jordan River, and they're looking to make it to the other side. And we see in this text before us this morning that this Jordan River, as the text said, is at flood stage right now. Historians and writers from antiquity tell us that the Jordan River usually was about 100 feet across except during the flood season, except during harvest time. At that point, it was as much as one mile across. And the Jordan River runs pretty swiftly. So there are the children of Israel. They're stopped. They're within sight of their gift, the promised land. And they're trying to figure out how to make it into the land of promise, to receive their gift, embrace their gift, um, apprehend their gift, Uh, to make their gift real and present in their life, to possess their gift. And then God shows up. You heard it in the text. Most of you probably know that when they left Egypt, Moses, God through Moses, uh, split the Red Sea. And they parted through the Red Sea walking on dry ground. You probably know that because Charlton Heston showed you that in the movie. But you might not recall that the same thing happened again with the Jordan River as the children of Israel were making their way into the Jordan River. God shows up and the Jordan River splits and then upon dry ground the children of Israel cross. But I want you to notice from the text, I want us to notice from the text what the children of Israel had to do before God did what God did with the Jordan River. You notice in the text, before they could cross to the other side, before God worked a miracle and allowed them to walk into the land of promise, God, through Joshua, called the people to consecrate themselves Verse 5 of the text, Joshua told the people, 
consecrate yourselves or sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Before they could receive their gift, before they could, before they could take what it was that God was offering them, before they could make it to the other side, before they could see the amazing things that God wanted to do in their midst, they had to consecrate themselves. Now, I know that that's a fancy theological term. We don't use it often in our vocabulary today. But I want you to know that throughout the last 250 years, it was the people of different Methodist stripes who used to remind the body of Christ about the importance of consecration. So I hope you know what consecration is, because if you don't, you're probably not going to consecrate yourself to God. Consecration is a key theological concept in the Christian community. And we Methodist types, we love to keep reminding the rest of the body of Christ that they need to be consecrated. What does it mean to consecrate oneself to God? It means to get your heart right with God It means to give your heart to God so that God can give you the gift of the undivided heart, a heart that is united in purpose. God wants to give us the gift of united heart, a heart where Christ is enthroned, where all other idols are cast down. And Christ and Christ alone is enthroned. There are a lot of Christians out there who want a religious department of their lives. They'll let Jesus have something to do with some of their lives. They'll let Jesus have some time on perhaps Sunday mornings. But what the Bible calls us to, what Christian faith calls us to, is a consecration of all of our lives. And again, it was Methodist types that used to remind the body of Christ of this. You know, people like Fanny Crosby and the Wesleys, they wrote wonderful hymns to help us consecrate ourselves to God. And if you hung out in Methodist circles for a while, perhaps, but sadly perhaps not, you've heard our emphasis upon consecration. That's why we were the ones who wrote hymns like, I Surrender All. Not I surrender a little bit, but I surrender all. We were the ones who wrote hymns like lay it all on the altar. We were the ones who loved to keep reminding the Christian community that it is wonderful and great to give your sin to Jesus Christ, receive him as Savior, and receive his pardon and forgiveness. But don't stop there. We need to give all of our lives to God. We need to embrace the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we need to seek daily to consecrate ourselves to God so that day by day by day, we are turning more of our lives over to him. That's what we do when we come in to worship on Sunday mornings. You notice, and I'm so grateful, you notice I don't have to sacrifice animals on this altar. You are the ones being sacrificed on this altar. We are the ones that are presenting our lives as a living sacrifice to God. And we want the fire of God to come and consume what we place on the altar. 
We want the fire of God to consume any sin we give to him. We want the fire of the Holy Spirit to come and empower us as we lay it all on the altar, as we surrender all. That's consecration. God will give us the gift of purifying our hearts so that our hearts can be focused and united on serving Jesus Christ. Mark Batterson, who has written a very popular book on prayer entitled Draw the Circle, defines consecration this way. It is letting God do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that's how God gets all the glory Consecration is a complete surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We relinquish everything to God, our time, talent, and treasure. It's a complete divestiture, but the exchange rate is unbelievable. On November the 5th, we will celebrate what we call Consecration Sunday, and I think for most of us, that means we will pray over the pledges that will fund our ministry for next year. But your pastor's dream and prayer is that when we get to Consecration Sunday, that will be a big Sunday where we consecrate ourselves to God. And between now and then, we really focus on how we consecrate ourselves to God. Every, every time we come into this place, we offer our lives as a living sacrifice to God. We say to God, God, come and occupy all my heart, occupy all my life. I want to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I really do want to surrender all so that I can receive all that you, God, have for me. Joshua told the children of Israel they needed to consecrate themselves before God could do an amazing thing in their midst and take them into the land of promise. Secondly, notice that before they could go in and occupy the gift, the promised land, God, through Joshua, told the people that they must, they must listen. Look at verse 9. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. And then he goes on to say, God says to them, let the priest go in with the Ark of the Covenant. And then when the priests go into the water with the Ark of the Covenant, the water will stop flowing and the miracle will occur and they'll walk through on dry ground. So they had to consecrate themselves. They had to listen to God. They had to listen to the word of the Lord, your God, is the way Joshua said it. We are a people intent on listening, listening to God's word. God loves us enough to reveal himself to us. God loves us enough to speak to us, to reveal his way and his will to us. So we have to be a people who listen. Now, in most languages, the word listen and the word obey are closely connected. Listen and obey. And I think we all know that. I I know that when my parents, when I was growing up, and my parents, it was usually my mother, when she wanted me to do something because I had not been doing it correctly, when she wanted me to do something, oftentimes one thing, she'd call me Jeffrey, She'd say, Jeffrey, listen to me. 
Now, she wasn't saying, Jeffrey, just hear what I say. She wasn't saying, Jeffrey, let me impart some information to you. She was saying, Jeffrey, you need to obey me. Listen to me. So we are the people who listen to God. We know how to hear from God. The word has been given to us. We listen to God, but that implies obeying God. And we also learn from this text that um, from what God just told the Israelites, and some of you haven't picked up on this yet, but I hope that you walk away today transformed with this concept. Before the children of Israel could take the land that God had given them, take the land that was a gift, to take the land that we call holy land, the land of promise that God declared belonged to the Israelites, God first said to them, oh, by the way, there in that land that I've given you, the gift that I've given you, there are Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. But it's yours. It's your gift. You know, a lot of times God gives us gifts. God has a destiny for us. God has something he wants to do in our lives. But we have to deal with the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites before we can fully take possession of what it is that God is giving to us, what it is God wants for us. God's gifts to us, and you know this, are not automatic. He has given us the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ, but we have to allow the Spirit to pull us to Jesus Christ We have to have a rude awakening concerning our sinfulness before we have the joyful awakening of giving our lives to Jesus Christ. We have to come to Christ in faith to receive all that Christ has for us. So even when God gives us a gift, there's something we need to do. Last week, we we heard Paul tell his protege Timothy to fan into flame the gift of the Holy Spirit that was within him. The Holy Spirit is a gift, but we have to keep that fire burning. A lot of times we just want the gifts of God to be automatic in our lives, but we see throughout the Scriptures, and we know from life itself, that we have to work to inherit, to apprehend, to receive, to embrace the destiny that God has for us. We wish it would be automatic, but we've got all of these different ites there wanting to keep the land, keep the gift from us. So we have to do something. But if we will choose, God will work through us to get us into that land of promise. And that's the third thing, the third and last thing I want you to notice in this text. Before the children of Israel could take possession of their dream, Before they could take possession of their destiny, they had to consecrate themselves to God. They had to listen to God. And then they had to act in faith. Look at verse 14 and following. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan River, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant, that symbolized God's enthronement in their midst, So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the Ark reached the Jordan, 
and their feet touched the water's edge. Watch this, verse 16. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a great, uh, in a heap, a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, or the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. I hope that you know faith is an action word. We have got to learn to faith our way through life. Notice I didn't say fake our way through life, but faith our way through life. Faith is an action word. Faith is something we do. We have to turn the word faith into a verb. And that's what the children of Israel did here, particularly the priest. Notice the story. Try to envision what is happening in this text. God says to the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant into the Jordan River. Now here's a river running swiftly about a mile long at this time of the season. And here go these priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant down into the water. I, I, if I were one of the priests, I'd feel a little foolish doing that. They went and stood in that water. Now I want you to notice what the text said. The book of Joshua doesn't give you this geography lesson just so you can win on jeopardy. This geography lesson is important. Notice it says, here they are standing in Jordan River across from the city of Jericho up at the city of Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon. That's where the water started piling up in a heap. That's 20 miles north of where the Israelites are. So think about how foolish these priests were. They walked out into the water as far as they could go, and they stood there, and nothing happened. It took a while for the water to back up 20 miles north and for the water to pass by the Israelites, and eventually they were standing on dry ground. I'm sure they thought they looked foolish standing there for the amount of time it took for the water to quit flowing underneath their feet. Sometimes when we act in faith, we look foolish, and the world does not understand what it is we're doing. But we've got to know how to act in faith, make it a verb in our life, and to march ahead doing what it is God's called us to do. To act in faith means that we trust the promises of God more than we're impacted by the circumstances of life. We trust what God tells us more than what the world shows us, and we have confidence in God. We're not about self-confidence as the people of Jesus Christ. We're about confidence in God. We're not about self-esteem. We're about grace-esteem as God tells us who we are. We have got to learn to live in faith, by faith, and die in faith. So, before they could enter the land of promise, before they could receive the gift that had been promised them by God, they had to consecrate themselves, they had to listen to God's instructions, and then they had to step out in faith. Don't know what you are facing as an individual, but regardless of what you are facing as an individual or what we are facing as a congregation, God wants to do amazing things in our midst. We must consecrate ourselves first, then listen to God's instructions, and then march forth 
in faith. Would you pray with me? God, for these faith-filled people that are seated before you this morning, seeking to make a living sacrifice of their lives to you, we pray that your Holy Spirit will take what we place upon the altar and let the fire of your Holy Spirit consume us.